Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Is This Music, a podcast about the mysteries of musical taste, why we love the music we love and hate what we hate. My name is Malcolm Fraser, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Yara L. Swady, a music writer from Montreal. It's a fun conversation. We get into some interesting stuff. She has a different perspective than uh, a lot of guests I've had or people I've met. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you on the other side. So, Yara El Swady, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, you know, it's uh, it, it's it's nice to to have you. I um, I have to confess. I mean, we don't we don't really know each other. We know each other professionally, but uh, yeah. I always uh, enjoy following your uh, your stories, your updates, and uh, I have a confession that part of the reason I wanted you on is because I I felt like all my guests were skewing uh, middle-aged and uh, I wanted some of the, some of the younger uh, fresh blood on the show. Um, <laughs> I like that. Actually, everyone's invited me because everyone needs fresh blood recently. So I'm, I'm very happy about that. <laughs> well, I, I was curious because when I first discovered your work and since then, I noticed that you often, describe yourself up front as a millennial writer. Um, and I was curious, like, what that means to you and, and why it's important for you to, to state that in your, in your description of your, yourself and your work. I guess it began as a joke at first, because my friends were always telling me, oh, my God, you're such a millennial. <laughs> and it's my millennial friends telling me I'm such a millennial. And I guess I really kind of, like got into it um, by the fact that I read a lot about millennials and how um, we were basically the PTSD generation. So with everything okay. that happened in the world, everything moving so fast, uh, we had like we had we came from that period without computers and then we got into computers very fast. We were pretty young. And then there were um, terrorist attacks everywhere and then wars and then Everything was changing so fast. It was always about those stories and traumas that we carried with us. But then it was also us, the early adopters, the one who did the first steps through changing the workplace or trying new stuff. And I found that interesting and everyone hated us. So I guess that um, I was <laughs> I said, well, if everyone hates us, I'll go and tell and tell everyone I'm a millennial. Recently, also, a lot of studies were coming out as millennial. They always work. They never stop. They have a thousand projects. And I was like, well, this is totally me. So let me tell everyone I'm a millennial. <laughs> and this is why I put millennial writer. I think even in the way I write, I write as a millennial. There's a strong millennial voice in the way I write, the way I actually see things, too. So I guess it's very much part of my identity, even if we're reviled and hated by everyone. <laughs> so, okay, what, what, uh, in what way is it, is it part of your voice, would you say? I guess mostly, um, so I was, what, when globalization started becoming a thing, I think I was maybe around eight, nine years old. And so maybe... I was a little bit more open to change and to the world than the older generations. 
And so the way I actually took it, because my parents are also pretty young, they're Generation X. So usually, you know, millennials are supposed to be the daughter, sons and daughters of baby boomers, but I'm a daughter of Generation X. So it was pretty much different in a way because my parents were also experiencing those things in their 20s, like late 20s, early 30s. While I was experiencing them, I was like eight, nine years old, right? Um, So it was interesting because I think in my way of writing, it became like being more open to everything, being open to those changes and being open to the fact that the world is changing too and that society is like changing extremely fast. I mean, I Mm -hmm. usually tell everyone in 2008, (laughs) everyone, I mean, saying that someone was gay or a lesbian was an insult, basically. We're in 2021, and everyone is queer now, and everyone's open and happy. And that kind of, like, huge change, um, I think, comes from, like, that kind of, like, opening things and wanting to change stuff in the world. So I think that's really much in my writing. I'm a queer writer, and I've seen how it was so badly seen when I was a teenager and now nowadays like it's something so open and so those like tiny things of like change change and the trauma that comes from (laughs) I guess this really really fast change in the world is still in my writing just the idea that the the fashion of the early 2000 is coming back is basically a trauma for me (laughs) but that's like I thought we'd change for something better but it seems like no (laughs) well it's funny you should say that because I feel the same way about the 90s like when the 90s fashion came back I thought wasn't it bad enough the first time around (laughs) that's my favorite thing (laughs) that's what all generations would say like my parents were pretty surprised when 60s fashions came, came back in style in the 80s so I guess it's just this cycle. Okay, so I will promise I won't make this all about millennials, but I do have one more question about that, which is why do you think that millennials are so reviled? Oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> um, I guess, um, let me think about that. I think we complain a lot. Like we do complain a lot, but not because um, we want to complain. We've been very privileged. I think that we're at a point where we're realizing that us uh, millennials cannot buy a house or we don't have affordable housing anymore or um, having the same privileges as our parent is not a thing. Like everyone struggles, salaries are not, um, they're not basically following um, the indexation of basically the price of life. In the U.S., people cannot study anymore because it's too expensive or you get into debt. And I guess because we complain this much, well, we get a lot of criticism of older generation. And then because we're kind of like depressive and always sad and we see everything in a negative way, well, Gen Z makes fun of us. (laughs) So I think that might be one of the reasons we're so reviled. But yet we're an interesting generation. And I think that... If Gen Z has it a little bit easier than we do, well, we've paved the way, right? Yeah, well, we'll see, I guess. I know we're reviled, but I think it's for Alderunk's reason. And mostly we're, we are kind of traumatized. We've seen so many things, we don't see the end of it. But yet, there is hope. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So let's talk about music stuff. You are a music writer. Yeah, yes I am. And uh, tell me a bit about how you got into that. I mean, it's not like the most obvious uh, work to take on in, in this day and age. No, it's not. Um, I guess I was always a very passionate music person. At 14, I used to, <laughs> again, millennial stuff, but download my music on LimeWire and get viruses on the family computer. But I had all those like folders and my music was like basically very, everything was like perfectly put regarding the years, the albums. And I really got into, into the Montreal indie scene. At the time, it was around 2005, 2006. I was 14, 15. And I was hearing about all those things happening. And I really got more into it um, as a teenager when my brother was born. I have a 14-year difference with my brother. And so I spend the whole summer wow. at home. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so you spent the whole summer at home because you had a baby brother? Yeah, I was helping out my mom. Um, it was, we had just moved, helping out my mom with the baby brother. And, you know, at some point, like, I wanted to stay with him too. Like, it's that new little being in my family. And I would... Um, to make him sleep, I would basically hold him and watch uh, Music Plus. And at the time on Music Plus, there was a lot of video clips during the day. And so they, I think I saw my first Arcade Fire video clip on Music Plus and it really hit me. And at that point, like I just really got into music and I wanted to be a music journalist. Um, but to be honest, I just started like a year ago. I got a little bit more active on Twitter and with the pandemic, well... I lost my job in advertising, and so I decided to take a look at what I wanted to do, and I wanted to become a writer, and then I become friends with people on Twitter. And one of them, Eric Lajan, basically um, said, hey, do you want to write for a cult? And I was like, oh, okay, why not? And I started writing, and I guess um, from then on, I just started writing a lot about music. <laughs> That's cool. So I'm curious when you said, I mean, probably many people would have seen the, the Arcade Fire video and, and got into it as a fan. But you said that, like, right away, you wanted to be a music journalist. That's interesting to me. Yeah. Did you already have aspirations to be a writer at that point? Yeah, so I've been, I, I've been writing little stories since I was like five years old. I used to tell them to my mom and I used to like read all the time. So I wanted to be a writer, but um, my aunt is a journalist. She lives in Lebanon and she's like a very well-known journalist there. So I already had like kind of an idea of what the, what was actually the, the career, the vocation. I, I say being a journalist was a vocation. So like basically what she was doing, I find it pretty interesting. And in Lebanon, it's basically more of a war correspondent way of doing journalists. Like she wasn't into culture <laughs> at all. And then our neighbors, when I was younger too, um, were journalists too. So like he, um, our like a close family friends, they became close family friend, friends. And the man was a journalist at La Presse. So he would tell me what he was doing and I would read the articles when I was a kid. And so it stayed with me. But then I got very interested in, in music. And then I, 
I think like I was 14, 15 and I started reading the Rolling Stone and those things, like those other publication. And I was like, well, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. I want to give a voice to musicians. I want to learn more about their art, what they do, because if I feel stuff through music, I cannot imagine like what goes through their head. And I want to like, I want everyone to understand what goes through their head because music is very powerful for me. Um, I do suffer a bit of synesthesia, so I do see color when I listen to music, um, <laughs> which sometimes makes it very hard for me to actually concentrate on stuff when I listen to music. So if I felt all those things and all my emotions and senses were stimulated by music, I wanted to kind of like put that into a story and share it with other people. Cool. Um, so you you talked about like arcade fire being the catalyst for you being a music fan and music journalist do you remember what you listened to earlier than that like growing up yes i do <laughs> yes <laughs> my parents used to listen to a lot of music so i do remember a lot of stuff there was a lot of arabic music in my household since i'm from lebanese i have a lebanese background so when i was very very young my mom used to put feruz at home if like you have Lebanese or Arabic uh, listeners, they automatically know who is Feyerouz. Yeah, she's huge, right? She's That's super, cool. super huge. She's like basically a diva. Well, I won't say diva because it comes with all that negative connotation. But she basically sang all those songs. And my, my name comes from one of her songs, basically, um, called Yara. It's a poem that she sings. My parents decided to call me Yara because of that. And so they would put her songs and I would listen to it. And I always find it very beautiful. And I grew up also on French songs. So my dad was a huge Jacques Brel fan. So like I used to listen to Jacques Brel with him. I, they weren't really into <laughs> more of like contemporary artists at the time. So they weren't really listening to the 90s music. They used to love like what is called Variété Française, so the old French songs and a lot of like Arabic songs. And I used to listen to that and I always found it interesting how it like really got to me. My mom was a huge Celine Dion fan, let's say it till this day. And she's also a huge Tina Turner fan. So I used to listen to like those <laughs> two women at home. And like the fact that she would always had music kind of like really got to me when I was younger. She would also like like do tiny CDs. We used to like, you know, burn a CD and have our music on it. She, she used to do that. And she would ask us to come at the family computer and we would select the songs that we want to listen to. And we'd each have like a CD, me, my sister, her, my dad. And I really, really got into this when I was younger. I'd say like the thing I really share with my mom, I think is like Tina Turner. I love her so much. And she really gave that love for me. Like she, I, I'll always remember, I was like maybe eight years old and she went to her show. And I think at the time, was it Centre Belle already or maybe Centre Molson still? But like she went there with a friend and she came back and she was so excited. And I was like, oh my God must be so amazing to go to a show. And honestly, Tina Turner gives a great show. Like I've seen videos of that now. So like I can kind of like understand the 
place music has in my parents' life and how it got through me. Have you ever seen the Tina Turner performance from the Rolling Stones' uh, Gimme Shelter documentary? No, I need to <laughs> check it out. Everyone talked to me about it and I haven't. I need to check it out. I'm not a big Rolling Stone fan, I'll be honest, so... <laughs> well, you know, that's like, I mean, I think if people don't like them, they have have given the world many reasons not to like them. But like, I would say that that documentary shows them at their best, but also the Tina Turner performance is just incredible. Uh, so it's worth I mean, checking out. T Tina Turner is just incredible in general. What she went through and the fact that she still does music and she's still that super powerful woman. And I think like she's 80 years old now, maybe a little bit older. She's- I believe so, yeah. She's, Amazing. I want to look like her when she's 80 years old. <laughs> I want to still rock. So you, you've only recently, semi-recently gotten into writing about music. And mm -hmm. do you find that, how has that changed your appreciation of music? Do you, do you find that you get more out of it or you see it from a different perspective? I think... Um... So the way I write about music, I kind of want to erase myself from the narrative when I talk with an artist. It's very important for me to not influence at all what the artist tells me. And I think it made me appreciate more artists than what I used to actually appreciate them. I really like music, but artists, I don't spend enough time knowing about them until I, unless like I have a huge crush on them or something like that which very rarely happens. Um, and every time I have an interview with an artist, I, I feel like they shared their emotion. They're very vulnerable. And this makes sure. me appreciate their music even more. Um, and the interesting thing too is that I decided, so I had completely stopped listening to Franco music in the past few years. And when I started writing about music again, the first thing I wanted to do was to listen to what's coming from Quebec, right? So like to see what's being done in French. And I found that the scene had changed so much, but also wasn't actually getting the recognition it deserved. So I really... I, not a lot of people actually talk about the underground francophone scene in Quebec. Um, whether it's like mainstream francophone media or it is the Anglo media, which for the Anglo media, I understand not a lot of people, like if you don't understand Francof like French, the French language at first, why would you naturally go and listen to a francophone artist? I understand that. But they still do very interesting things. And they still go out of the way. And I, and I discovered amazing artists just by listening to them, but also being able to speak French made them a little bit more comfortable to actually talk about like their emotions or who they were and their creative process, which I found interesting. Though sometimes I have to like translate the quotes and make sure that, you know, do, did I capture it well? And they have to come back to me. But I think it, like, I felt that they needed more representation and that I wanted to be that little bridge between the Francophone scene here and 
the Anglophone media elsewhere. And I was very well received because my interest of Francophone music basically kind of helped some of them to um, get the word out there that they existed and that they were doing new music. And that was pretty interesting. I'm by no means <laughs> like the person who made other people discover them. What they were doing was already amazing, but I loved giving them the little push that they needed. Like, and that basically changed my whole perspective of music. Also, the other thing I'd say that it changed is like, now I actually take the time to listen to a full album. <laughs> Oh, yeah? Yeah. I used to not do that. I'd have a couple of, like, songs I love to listen to, but now I do listen to a whole album and try to understand the story behind it or what is going on or what they're going for. Um, I'll be honest, sometimes I find it a little bit hard. Other times, like, listening to it will be pretty easy. Um, but it's an exercise. I think music... As like as a music writer, music is now a little bit of a homework, but at the same time, it's very interesting to go to not just listen to music to listen to music. It's actually important to understand it. For sure. Okay, so there's a lot there in what you just said. I will, I want to go back a little bit. So um, you said that uh, you've only just started recently to listening through the whole albums. I, I find that, like, yeah, I, I rarely listen to whole albums anymore. And I've had a few arguments or discussions with people about this lately where I'm kind of like, well, I mean, let's be real. Like most albums, unless you're talking about a Stone Cold classic, most of them only have like three or four great songs on them tops. And, you know, some people, some people have disagreed with me on that. That's fine. Uh, but like, it makes me think, well, why, you know, the LP, the album as a format has only existed since like the 60s, right? And why do artists feel compelled to, I mean, just having seen it from the artist point of view of making my own music, sometimes it's like, oh, well, you know, if I recorded four more songs, and this could be an album instead of an EP. But then it's kind of like putting the cart before the horse, because it's like, I've already got these six songs that are great, at least in my mind. If I'm going, oh, I got to write more songs, that's not coming from a, from an honest place of like creativity. It's coming from like, oh, I have to fill up this space. And that's the definition of filler, right? Um, but at the same time, like the album is still very much prioritized, at least in the music uh, industry or music like ecosystem like on Spotify it says that like my last record was in 2009 only if you scroll down to like singles and EPs do you see that I've done stuff since then and it's a little frustrating sometimes I, I kind of like for a while I sort of thought well I'm just gonna put out EPs because uh, you know who, who, who needs like you know why are we so attached to the album format but then I've started to realize with time like it's still kind of expected, you know, people expect you to put out a whole album. Sometimes I think I need to stop fighting it. And then other <laughs> times I think, you know, does it, who cares? Like people only listen to playlists now anyway. 
but no, well, actually, you're right. People listen to playlists and they don't want to listen to a full album. I think this is also a consequence of, of like modern social media. Like TikTok will basically push songs now, and um, the Billboard is basically decided by TikTok. So like people don't really care about albums anymore. They care about the single or an EP that has like four songs and that's it. And you don't need an album. Um, yeah, I guess. Well, for me, an album is always a way also to get a deep dive into an artist. Um, I guess an artist universe and what they're thinking at the moment and their creative process at a certain year. Um, that being said, there's not a lot of artists doing albums anymore. You have artists that are basically EP and single artists now. Um, Billie Eilish, before her album and even after, she still released singles and um, time, and like it was a single one year and then a single there and there was no plan for a new album for a while. So like, I guess... Um, The album is dead, let's be honest. The album format as a classic format is dead. That being said, I do admire artists that still put them out. And I I actually give myself time to listen to them. Yeah, well, it's kind of a niche. I think it's like for super fans and like collectors, people who... Uh, you know who value the object of the of the album, which is totally cool too. Um, okay, so going back a little bit, you talked about the 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 francophone uh, underground scene, and I was thinking back to like that early mid two thousands period you mentioned, and I feel like at that time there started to be a bit of crossover, like when Malajub was was uh, was big. And there were a few other artists who seemed to kind of like, I guess, like Carol de Pirate to some extent, like she's still pretty prominent. Um, and I wonder, but it's true, as you say, that like since then, it's become a little bit more stratified again. And I wonder if that doesn't have to do with the media, like the sort of the, the media death spiral of there being fewer publications to cover these artists i mean they're well known like they're well known in the francophone world so that isn't a problem right in my opinion like um yes there's less media and less cultural media to cover them that being said i think we also in some kind of weird way um and i'm talking from a francophone Uh, uh, like a francophone native point of view and then from the anglophone the girl who only writes an english point of view we kind of like tend to stay with what we know nowadays what it feels like is that even in montreal there, there are like two scenes that are completely separate which i the like it's a big problem because our scene would gain so much of actually crossing over those like two solitudes and we're not able to do it um i guess you're right there's been less and less media to talk about this but at the same time i feel like we might have decided also as journalists to maybe stay um in line with what we know plus i think this is something about the quebec scene is that we had more and more uh, franco rappers so like quebec rappers are getting bigger And if you don't understand what a rapper is saying, 
the music might be less interesting to you, right? Because rap is all about lyricism and the poetry. Um, but we're not only doing rap, we're doing other stuff. I don't personally cover rap, so <laughs> I know we're doing other stuff. I think like everyone wants to know what the other person does, but we're having a hard time crossing over and I don't know why. It's like we decided to go back to that kind of like wall we have between those two communities and not exchange. Yeah. Well, it's good that you are, uh, th that you're there bridging the gap. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy about that. Honestly, I never thought I would be that person, but now I'm that person and I'm more than happy to do it. Though sometimes I receive too much PR and <laughs> I get lost in it. So, <laughs> but it, it's, it's yeah. something else I wanted to ask you about, because you said you've only been doing this for a year or so. But you also talk about get, getting swamped with emails. And earlier you talked about like, you know, listening to music having become almost like homework. Do you, do you think there's a danger in getting, um, you know, getting overexposed, like getting, getting cynical about it, getting blasé about it? It's not that you get blasé. I <laughs> guess sometimes I was talking about that with another friend who's a music journalist. And I think we came to the to the point where listening, yes, listening to music becomes a homework. So what happens to us is basically, if you really want to listen to music, we'll go back to something that has been released like five years ago or six years ago. And what happens is not being blasé. It's mostly that we're so solicited that we're not able anymore to have new favorite albums or we're always seeing it from a okay, I'm going to analyze it point of view, give my opinion on Twitter about that album or something like that. Or what do I think about this album? So I don't want to like being a journalist is deciding to have homeworks for the rest of our lives, which I like agreed as a nerd, give me more homework. But um, I guess the thing is, um, all the music I used to listen to before becoming a music journalist for me becomes music that I love listening to without being solicited to. And then all the music I receive, sometimes it becomes like, oh, can you give me your opinion about this? Oh, can you please tell me what you think? Do you think you can cover it? So I don't, I always listen to music in like this, okay, I'm analyzing it and I'm trying to get into it and I'm writing questions to the artist about it. And yes, it's super good and I would listen to it again, but I wrote my article and like, it's like next, you know? So I'm yeah. not becoming blasé about it. I love what I do. I'm not overwhelmed with it, but it 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 becomes part of the job. <laughs> I mean, For sure. there's still yeah. artists. There's still artists I buy tickets for, and I know I'm gonna enjoy the show, and I'm happy about it. But then others, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna skip that. I've heard so much about it, or oh my god, it's all over the. Not that it's all over the place, but it's all over social media. I can't, like, even if I I love them, it's going to be okay. Like, I can miss it. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I feel like sometimes in, in the past when I was more active on the scene, I, I missed out on certain things because I thought it w they were too uh, too overexposed or too popular. And now I, now I kind of kick myself sometimes that I could have, uh, you know, could have seen them way back when. But... Um, that's not to say you should do more. Uh, you know. I know. I know my limits. I think that's the other thing, too. It's to know your limits when you're doing this kind of work, because at some point you don't want to. 
I don't want music to become something I hate, right? For me, it's a huge part of who I am. It's a huge part of of my passion and like talking with artists is interesting and it gets me going because I understand their art and I understand what they're trying to say with their music. Um, so I have to put limits. At first I was like so excited and I wanted to do everything, but now it's like I choose my projects. I choose the artist I want to cover, which makes me think that I need to reply to a PR <laughs> that sent me <laughs> an email And I really want to talk about that artist. I just need to send the email. But that's the thing, you know, like we choose our projects so we get more involved into things and we say no to other things. And it's not because the artists are bad. It's just we just want to do like I want to give my full attention to one project at the time. And you can't I can't cover everything. Sure yeah. mm -hmm. um, okay, so there was something you said earlier that struck me. You said. Yeah, you 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 started off uh, getting music through LimeWire and download sites. Uh, where where do you where do you get music today? Where do you find music? Where do you make discoveries? Um, I'll be honest. Um, now my discoveries come from a lot of PR I receive. Also, right. TikTok will help me sometimes, and I find it funny. I'm on the local scene. I say Bandcamp. What is a big helper. Yeah, you always have good Bandcamp uh, recommendations. Yeah, I used to do them. Uh, thank you, too, <laughs> for telling me this. But um, so I go through Bandcamp and I basically um, discover new people. Bandcamp Daily basically features so many artists. I discovered so many of them. I also talk with other people. They'll introduce me to new music. But Spotify sometimes does the job. Though I, I did complain this week that my Discover Weekly was very much annoying. Um, but um, Spotify, Why? because the algorithm doesn't <laughs> sometimes will, like propose to me something. I'm like, why? But why even an artist I listened to 30 seconds before I realized that I didn't like the song and skipped it. Um, And they'll propose me something else from that artist. And I'm like, no, I don't want to listen to that. Or because I faved that one song, they'll propose me like 15, <laughs> 15 songs of that same artist. And yeah. I'm like, no, don't, don't do this, Spotify. But um, they don't want, you don't want to be even more inside your own bubble. But I do sometimes wish they had like a more like this, less like this kind of button. So you could just be like, no, I don't, I just don't want to hear that kind of thing. They... They kind of have it, though. They do have it. They have, like, I don't want to listen to this or more. When you like it, they know it's more like this. But they they did have, I'll need to check, but they do have, like, I don't want this anymore or less like this that you can select. But it's an effort to actually go and do, like, I don't want to see this or I don't want to listen to this or less like this. So it kind of, like, okay. makes you engage more with Spotify, which I don't want to do on a daily basis. <laughs> It's in my in yeah, the exactly. background. But Bandcamp actually is amazing. I get all new notifications from artists I follow, of artists I purchase music from. Um, and sometimes, like, when I like an artist, I'll go and see who purchased the album, then what those people actually listen to, and then I'll go and discover that. So, yeah, it's cool. Plus, like, my partner is a huge rap Um, fans so like sometimes he'll talk about rap with me and I'll discover rap stuff which is always fun 
So there's that. Yeah, you said earlier that you don't cover rap music. Why is that? Um, I'll be very honest. I don't think I'm the expert for that. I think there's better journalists in Montreal that cover rap music. Also, rap for me, um, I love it so much. I don't want to be. Um, I don't want to see it as a homework. I did. Okay. I did tell that um, to my partner recently. I was like, I love rap music and I love R and B. For me, not to cover it, it doesn't. It actually. It actually makes it more of like a safe space for me. I listen to it and I actually enjoy it, and I do it because I want to. So that's actually like the kind of like little safe space in music that I did. And I'm not sure I should have said that because if a PR listen to your podcast, I will receive more rap. <laughs> and I don't want to. <laughs> Please. Um, I do receive some rap proposition from time to time, but I usually say no, send it to Eric or send it to that other person. They'll be, they'll be able to serve you more. Um, and I'm not the rap expert. I think there's a lot of people covering rap right now in Quebec and in Canada. No need for me to add up on this. And I think there's other scenes that are under the served um, on the music writer um, side. I think about psych rock in Montreal, post-punk, punk music is not uh, well served too. So I want to cover those scenes, which I love and enjoy so much. I used to, uh, well, I still identify myself as a punk at this Punk music was the music I listened to when I was a teenager too. So like for me, it was like going back to my roots and seeing what's happening right now. So here you go. That's cool. Um, so um, what are there any kinds of music that you just can't appreciate or that you just don't like or that you've tried to get into but can't? Not really. Um something that no one knows about me i love country music <laughs> and, uh, I'm, i actually really enjoy country music and classical music too like at first i was always like i remember when i was younger i used to be like oh no not no not classical music and now i actually really enjoy it to the point where it's uh i'll put it all the time at home uh, is there something i really don't like i think maybe EDM is not really my thing in general. I don't understand. I don't really understand it or I'm not, I don't really get into it. Um, but at the same time, anyone that likes it, like it's pretty valid. So no problem. Like anyone can listen to electronic music. I'm just, just don't get really into it. I don't get the thrill. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. Uh, I think it's a cultural thing, you know, Like it's partly like a Euro trash kind of vibe and partly just like club culture. Um, but uh, I have to say that I was listening to an 80s station the other day and uh, Pump Up the Volume by Mars came on. I don't know if you know that song. Um, yeah. And I was kind of like, I just remembered being a kid and like you were saying, watching like Music Plus or Much Music for us, like, seeing that was like whoa i've never heard any music like this ever before it was it was really really new in that late 80s kind of context uh and pretty cool but i never went went fully down that road 
Uh, yeah, and it's interesting because now you've said this and I just thought, no, that's... Well, I really enjoy French Dutch music, La French Dutch, basically. So you think that's Daft Punk from Justice. All those people, even Sébastien Tellier, which I hate as a person, but he does amazing music. So I'm like, but isn't that electronic music? <laughs> like, I'm... Yeah, totally. You know, well, I mean, at this point, electronic music is a, a huge sea of different subgenres and everything. But I think we can agree that like when you say EDM in 2021, it has a certain connotation of like kind of trashy, basic, uh, you know, club type. Music. Yeah, I think the message would be um, maybe don't invite me to Il Sonne. <laughs> If someone really wants to to bring me somewhere, don't invite me to Ilsanik. Not that I, I think I'm gonna go once just to experience it, but not my kind of music. To be honest, that would be the big thing. Like it's not something I actually appreciate. Though I am really, I love, and I love actually seeing DJs mix. I have friends that are DJ, but I think there's different kind of DJs too. So like. We need to, I think we associate DJs so much with the EDM scene while there's other stuff being done. I mean, I'm thinking about Kitronada doesn't do EDM, so, and he's a DJ, and I'm thinking about my friend Gaillance, who actually is a DJ, but she goes and puts Afrobeat and Brazilian music in her mix. So for me, like, there's so many things <laughs> that come with the DJ thing that I don't associate it to EDM. Of course. Yeah, it's interesting that it, like at a at a basic level, it stands for electronic dance music, which could mean anything. But the 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 shorthand has come to mean something particular. Um, okay, so um, what what is what are you loving these days what, uh, musically? Um, what am I listening to this these days? Um, I think the latest album from Snow. Allegra is basically on repeat for me lately. I really like it. Um, I just have to find the name again because I always forget the the name of the albums I listen to. Um, but also, I don't know why, on Friday I went to Chiquetti, which is this bar in uh, the Milex, and they had an Italo disco night, and I really decided to listen to Italo disco for like the past four or five days. Um, so I'm stuck into like an old Italian disco <laughs> 80s club kind of feel, I guess because it's fun and it's so, uh, I need to find the right word. I think it's because it's so um, kitschy. <laughs> I like listening to kitschy music. Um, as I said, Snow Allegra and her newest album, Temporary Highs in the Violet Skies, is a good one. I really like it. Um, the latest album from uh, Tyler, the Creator, too. I really, really enjoy it. Um, yeah, in general, like these are the two albums that are rolling right now. But also Mount Kimby has been coming back <laughs> a lot in my rotation. I don't know why. Um, they're... Uh, Love What Survives, which is a 2017 album. I put it on and I can basically listen to it all day. Cool. Well, I feel like, I mean, when you say those artists, like a lot of them I haven't even heard of. So that that's why it's great for me to uh, to, to know people who, who have such different tastes and insights and like get 
get recommendations. There's always so much more to learn. There's so much to learn. I'll be honest, I'm very much a playlist person more than like listening to one artist in particular. I'd say that like for this summer, the only thing I've been doing was like clicking on playlists unless there's albums that really affect me. Like, as I said, um, the Snow Allegra one. Um, but uh, I was listening, NPR Music d does those amazing rosé wave a playlist which is basically music you listen to while drinking rosé which means basically anything and I love listening to them and yeah you have Vince Staples, Jasmine Sullivan, um, sometimes Men I Trust will be on them. Uh, we do have a lot of Quebec artists actually that get into these artists into these playlists sorry so I find that this interesting uh, again, see, I'm going always back to rap and R&B because there's, it's stuff that I love listening to without like being really much involved in a homework state of mind. So Roddy Rich, Salt, um, Bad Bunny to a certain extreme. <laughs> I like listening to Bad Bunny. So I guess I'm much more basic than what I think I am. <laughs> well, aren't we all? <laughs> we all are. That's for sure. I think, I mean, I, I have a lot of... Uh artists like musician friends who complain about the playlist era and i totally understand where they're coming from but then at the same time i'm kind of like just the ship has sailed you know or like this is what this is where we're at now like just deal with it you know it's it's kind of like and and i also it would be hypocritical for me to jump on that bandwagon because i almost only listen to playlists at this point unless unless it's an album from a friend or a beloved artist who I've, who I've loved for years. It's uh it's pretty much going to, going to be the playlists for me. And like, I get why people are bothered by that, but it's kind of like, it's, it's like if you fo follow the, you know, from radio to uh, mixtapes, mix CDs, like you were saying before, uh, and then iTunes, and then it's just like a way of kind of taking that way of listening and making it super streamlined and user-friendly. So I kind of love it. It's, um, you know, I think it comes back to the fact that you were saying that you, like, you don't understand albums anymore, like you don't like albums. Um, and yeah, because we're now in the playlist era where everything is playlisted and needs to answer to a certain algorithm, which is kind of sad, um, Th this might be why people do more EPs and singles. Um, that being said, um, I think we, maybe it comes back to my millennial side, we need to open up our minds and try new things. Music will always be there. We just have to evolve the way um, we see it. And not in a bad way. I mean, there's stuff that will still be made because industry plans and other, you know, commercial successes, but there's always a way of pushing your music and getting it to the people that actually like it. So, yeah. I, I, I want to ask you one more question, which is that you, uh, you talk about um, getting a lot of PR emails and like, as, as a journalist, how can I put this? Like I have some other artist friends. I'm just using other people to, you know, as straw men for my arguments, but uh, <laughs> they say that there's, they're cynical 
about certain artists succeeding just because of of PR or marketing. And I'm kind of like, is that really true? Like, can you really make someone successful with marketing? Like maybe for a, a minute, but not in any kind of uh, impactful way. That's what I think. What do you, what's your perspective on that? No, not anymore. Not anymore. Maybe it used to be like, like that, like more than like a decade ago, but Today, no. I have artists that reach out to me that don't have a strong PR machine or artists that write to me on Instagram. Um, and honestly, all it, all you need is talent. Good talent. Uh, I can spot people that are actually really into their music and want to do great stuff um, from a listen. And I know to who I want to give a voice and who I don't want to give a voice. You can have the strongest PR and the strongest marketing. If I don't like what you're doing, I'm not going to cover you. Um, it's as easy as that. People are doing interesting things now, but they do have talent too. Um, yes, marketing will always play a bit, but not that much. And we all grew up in a, market, <laughs> in a marketing world, if I can say. Everything is marketed. Everything is branded. And because of that, I guess we can spot what's, what is fake and what's not. Like if someone tells me Billie Eilish has no talent, she doesn't deserve to be on top of the billboard. That's not true. She's super talented. It's not because you don't like her that she, isn't, like she doesn't deserve her place. Or if you tell me that, I don't know, I'm thinking about someone more. Like because Billie Eilish does have talent and everyone recognizes that. But if you, I mean... The latest Green Day album, great example of that, or the Chance the Rapper album that completely flopped. They had like strong marketing around it. They still flopped. So not true at all. <laughs> I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, you got to you. I, I always look at things with a bit of a of a cynical eye or a skeptical eye. But um, as, when it comes to to promotional stunts and things that seem to have like more sizzle than steak per se. But I do think that like all the marketing in the world can't save a mediocre artist because uh, stuff has to connect with people. You know, music has to connect. And I think that just because an individual doesn't like the music, well, that's just, that's just your taste. You know, if, if, if it's got to that point of success, it's connected with someone. You know, you can get to a certain point with promo and marketing, but only only to a certain point. I remember one of my friends did uh, an interview with an artist at Oceaga. And uh, she came back from the interview and she looked at me and she was like, damn, this guy, <laughs> he didn't want to do the interview and I felt it. Like he, he wasn't he wasn't his regular self. He seemed to be closed off and the, his managing team was pretty mad um, about that. And then she was like, uh, I'll, I can basically tell you that I expect them to drop him in two years because if that's my general feeling, I cannot imagine like how other people feel about that. I'm not gonna disclose the name of the artist <laughs> because poor artist, but... I mean, and it wasn't a local artist, like it was an international artist. It was a one of their headliners. And 
I felt it's it's not that I felt bad, but like you can put all the marketing in the world or the artist can be known by like a thousand person, like more than a million person and they can sell as many albums as they want. If they're not charismatic, if they're not able to do that link with us journalists either, how are we going to be able to actually get their story out and actually give meaning to what they do? So I would say marketing, I'm trying to find the right words. Marketing doesn't play a role that big. You can have the best marketing in the world. If we're not able to connect with you, we cannot, we just cannot give a voice to the music, the voice that the music deserves. So now there's some people out there who say that, you know, music media isn't important anymore because artists can just c connect directly to fans. Do you think that's has any truth to it? I think this comes from a lot of incident that had happened with artists lately. There's a lot of artists who want a journalist to actually um, show uh, their best sides. So I think Justin Bieber is a big, um, and I'm saying those like big names. I know that Lizzo, Justin Bieber, um, and most recently, uh, St. Vincent, beloved St. Vincent, which I don't love at all. I'll be very open about that. Um, kind of like started to kind of control the message that was in the media. I think the biggest yeah. problem with mu with musicians that actually do, do this is that um, they're trying to actually... Um, Controlling what we have to say, controlling what a journalist is going to say about your music is not the way to go, though they have strong fan bases. This being said, no, you still need us. Like, it won't change a thing. Um, I mean, St. Vincent can be as popular as she wants. The way she treated that journalist in England and decided to kill her article was, uh, was more revealing about who she was than any other thing that she would have said and for the yeah so like and for the journalists to receive death threats afterwards from fans i mean this is even more awful um this is not an image you want to leave i think we we don't have power to influence but i think like we have the power to actually give good profiles and to actually go in in depth in what you in depth in what you're doing or what your music means and I think this is important plus we're not always covering artists either we're covering the state of a scene or we're covering subsidies giving to musicians and I mean one of my big thing is the Montreal nightlife I talk about it all the time because if you kill a nightlife in a city you basically kill also the music industry right it's like we're way more than just um here to talk about the artist we need to talk about that whole ecosystem and when we do this well we're able to uncover bigger things there are so many things that have been uncovered totally. lately by music journalists about sexual abuse about stuff that happened in bands or labels that um, will always need <laughs> the music media or the cultural media because in the end, our job is not to always profile positively anyone. It's also to do research and to be objective in what we cover. Totally. Well, Yara, thank you for talking to me 
I, uh, I, I appreciate your perspective on things. Well, thank you for having me. It was great. <laughs> I, hope, I hope I sounded young enough. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Perfect. That's our show. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find Yara El Swady on Twitter, Instagram, in the pages of Cult Montreal, Exclaim, and other publications. I will be back in a couple of weeks' time with a very, very special episode. I hope you tune in for this one. Uh, say, if you like this show, consider giving a review, leaving a rating, posting it on your socials, or passing it on to a friend. It all helps. I will see you next time for more What Is This Music? Music.